your hour of thrive time begins now with your host jay mamie on the jay mamie talk show business edition good day everyone and welcome once again to the jay mamie talk show this is jay mamie and you have now entered your hour of thrive time i have to tell you that today's show is going to be Phenomenal. If you are a note taker, then you are a money maker or an aspiring one. And today is one of those shows that you want to have your note paper, your pen handy to take notes. It's rare that a show can deliver quality and content from one guest, let alone two, that can change your life with one thought, one word of inspiration, one word of encouragement, it can change your life. I've had many opportunities to hear others say, show things that have turned my head around in a way that I, it forced me to rethink what I was thinking for the better, for my better and for the betterment of others. Today's show is going to have that impact for you, my friends. So make sure that you have pen and paper handy Because our conversation with two of the top innovators in today's global community are on the show. Michael Gordon, the founding CEO of Teladoc, is on the show today. But not only Teladoc, he's a 15-time entrepreneur. He's the Entrepreneur of the Year. He's a Texas Business Hall of Famer, which is an incredible honor as it is. He's a best-selling author, and today we're going to have him on the show to speak about his latest work. It's a phenomenal book, already receiving incredible reviews. His book, Calamistunity, is not only creating waves in the world of, of thought leaders, but is designed to teach us the lessons that others have made where they have taken situations where we would consider calamitous, uh, mistake-driven, blunders, but yet converted that into opportunity. It's a phenomenal book. We're going to have a great conversation with the one and only Michael Gordon. He's returning again to the program. But on the heels of that, our next guest will be Julie Austin. Now, Julie is someone that is no, uh, it's, it's, she's no stranger to the world of innovation as she's a keynote speaker. Uh, she is an, an, a NASDAQ winning inventor. She speaks on platforms in front of audiences that are uh, companies as Procter & Gamble, Novartis Pharmaceutical, Northrop Grunman, and on and on and on. She's also an award-winning uh, author herself. And she's going to join us to talk about how to develop the mindset of an innovator, of an inventor, And there's no one better than Julie Austin to speak on that subject matter. So we've got a fantastic show today that's going to help you create the thought patterns to help you thrive. I'm excited about that show, my friends. Hey, by the way, if you've not had a chance to check out my prior episodes, now's the time to go to the jmamietalkshow.com, the jmamietalkshow.com. You'll find all of my prior broadcasts on that site, and I've can guarantee you're going to get hooked because we continue to deliver now for three and a half years content, quality content galore. Today's show is an indication. I can't wait for you to hear it. You will right after the break. Hey everyone, Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Excited to announce that my 10th book, 10 Toxic Traits That Keep You Broke, Busted and Disgusted is now available on Amazon. And since its release, the readers have reviewed the book and have left stellar reviews as they have come to recognize the book as a valuable resource to help them identify those toxic traits that keep them from becoming the best they can be. Those stumbling blocks have to be identified. And in this book, 10 Toxic Traits That Keep You Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, we're going to dive into a closer look at these progress-inhibiting behaviors. The book is going to be a tremendous resource. It is for many already. Pick it up at Amazon. 10 Toxic Traits That Keep You Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. 
Are your emotions leading your responses to situations, or are you living a life where all your capabilities are in balance? This is Randy Bowles, the Coherence Warrior. With disciplined behavior of less than 10 minutes a day, I live more efficiently and effectively with inspired actions. Let me help you learn how to use your heart's intuition to guide your brain to lead your mental, physical, and spiritual capabilities to higher levels for longer periods of time. Visit CoherenceWarrior.com and I look forward to serving you. Have you reached a place personally or professionally where you sense you need to be more motivated and fulfilled? Do you want to change but fear the discomfort that comes with it? Hey, I'm Bryce Runge, author of the hit book, Wake Up, Wake Up, Wake Up. For the past decade, I have equipped students, athletes, and CEOs with tools to wake up enhance their thought life, develop the strength to overcome challenges, and advance toward greatness. For more information, visit BryceRunge.com. That's B-R-Y-C-E-R-U-N-G-E.com. Wake up. Let's grow. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show, Business Edition. back everyone to the Jay Mamie talk show. I said in the beginning of this program that there are guests that are so value-based that I get excited about hearing from them. Even if they are returning uh, as a guest, as is the case with Michael Gordon today, but they're returning because they bring great value. And the interesting thing about achievers and winners is that they continue to develop value. They don't stay stuck in a place. They don't give it a, uh, a one-shot fits all kind of approach to uh, to expansion. They're continuing looking to to bring to the community their gifts and talents, and that's the reason why Michael Gordon, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is going to be on a broadcast today. But I want to hold up his book because uh, I, I was just sharing off air with him that him and I know each other now for a handful of years, and we support each other. But I had a chance to go through the book, and and uh, quite frankly, my friends, it is a book that is beautifully written. It has a flow to it. And him and I spoke about, uh, he mentioned uh, on my book, that my book, The 10 Toxic Traits to Keep You Broke, Busted, and Discussion should be mandatory reading at the high school level. I have to say the same thing about his book, and we're going to dive into the reason why. But Michael Gordon, welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Jay. Hey, we appreciate you making time. You've got a busy schedule, you know, with, with the credentials that you bring to the table. Um, I'm, I'm amazed that you have time to hike anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to have balance and hiking is sort of the fun side of the balance, right? This is true. This is true. Hey, you know, if you ever really want to get a good exercise, you go down to Spanish Harlem and you can certainly uh, hike up the projects. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every time I think about you, I, I always think about that old Spanish Harlem song. When I was first talking about you to Shelley, I said, you know, the Spanish Harlem song, that's Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. It's a phrase that you don't hear people use my Spanish Harlem. And the first thing you think about is the song, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But listen, I want to, before we dive into the goodness of the book, uh, I want to take a page um, out first and, and really dive deep into you. Because you've had your own fair share of calamity student right, yeah. uh, over the course of time. Obviously, no successful entrepreneur, 15-time entrepreneur is, is, is going to have a smooth ride. But personally speaking, what have been your own personal calamity student lessons that you've learned over the years? Yeah, I want to go back to one of the very first ones. So picture this. I'm in a large auditorium with a thousand freshmen engineering students. And the dean is down on the stage. And one of the things the dean says is, look left, look right. Only one of you will be here at graduation. Mm. And I look left, I see a valedictorian. I look right, I see a salutatorian. And I graduated number 32. And I'm thinking, holy, you know what? <laughs> oh my God. How am I going to be the one who beats these two? Mm. And and what I realized, this is one of the secrets, is that guys like you and I, we grow up learning how to deal with failure. The first time that really hard exam comes in and you don't make 100 on it, we're used to it. We go, okay, what do we do wrong? How do we fix it? Mm -hmm. And over the course of engineering school, I realized that the thing that always beats these guys who finish first and second in their class was persistence, mm. hands down. 
Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that was one of the first things. And it really, I didn't learn that that's what the tool was until well after engineering school, when I went back and thought about it, but what a great tool persistence is because mm -hmm. life knocks you down and kicks you in the teeth. You have to get back up, put a smile on and say, okay, what did I do wrong? How do I fix it? Mom taught us that one. That's Listen, I, I think moms are the greatest role models for persistency. Right. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. really are, especially single moms. Um, they're even a greater example of persistency. And I've met some phenomenal ones. Uh, but your book is laced with stories of people that have uh, 10x persistency. And that's ultimately when you look back, I've seen reading. You know, you mentioned yeah. that you had that, that experience in college, I, I'll tell you, uh, uh, which is a great experience. And I, I, it'd be interesting to know where the those two individuals that were left and right of you, how far they went and and that they've accomplished as much as you have. Do you even know that story of, of them? I, I don't. You know, I wish I could go back and 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 find them so I could finish that story <laughs> with. But I don't, you know, I I've um we could talk a little bit about luck at the end, but mm -hmm. I think from my perspective, I've been lucky in that I figured out how to pave the pathway. And I don't want to go back and pick <clears> on the valedictorian who's um, still working. You, you know, we we all have a joke. The CEOs who manage engineers is the the really great ones. You put them in a room, lock it, and then twice a day you throw pizza in, and then lock the door again. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, that's probably where those guys are. Probably, you know, I, I my guess is they probably don't have a taste of freedom like you and I have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, even though they've paid the price for it, they probably don't have, you know, so it tells me your story reminds me of mine when I was in college, you know, uh, I, I wasn't a, a C student. I mean, I was actually a C student. And if I could see over the person in front of me, I'd pass. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you'd have the summa cum laude and they announced there was summa cum laude and, and, uh, what's the alma mater, all these, uh, cum laudes. And I just thought to myself, wow, I, I'm just, I just, I get thank you, Lauda, that I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it's like all these, but but here we are, right? So persistency, yeah. because certainly I didn't have the academic uh, accomplishments to have achieved the success I had. So I had to work harder. And luck is absolutely, luck was part, a part of it. And um, we could certainly talk about that. But, you know, uh, when, when we were chatting earlier, uh, well, last week in our prior show, I had Colonel Allen West on the show. And one of the things we talked about was uh, raising expectations. And I, I think when you grow up in an area or in, in times or in an environment where it's difficult, you, your, your expectations better rise because mm -hmm. your, your life is a calamity. Your, your environment, your home is a calamity. So you better raise your expectations. So let me ask you this. I know that you, you often speak about, and especially in a book, that there's two emotions that are really the ones that when they're combined, they can stifle an individual or a group's ability to, to experience progress, right? Yeah. Um, fear and avoidance of failure. Yeah. How can either an individual or a group leader uh, or someone in charge manage those two deadly emotions, those stifling emotions, when they naturally creep up after someone's made a mistake? I think our job as leaders is to trust and inspire, but we also need to recognize that everybody has a job to do. And um, those of us like me who constantly have dealt with weight gain and weight loss, we realize, uh, and, and the smokers of the world will get this also. If you say, I'm going to quit smoking, and then you think about cigarettes all the time, you'll never succeed. Mm. What you have to do is you have to say, okay, I might be afraid of these things, but what I really should be focused on is not the fear of whatever might happen, but what is the task that I need to accomplish? Stay laser focused on the task and the fear will, won't get in your way. It only gets in your way when you allow it, when you put it there. And so I think the leaders need to be teaching that and the people who are trying to get the work done need to recognize, focus on the task, not on the, the things that might happen. You know, I, I think there's a lot to be said about that, because if you harp on the mistake uh, for too long, you miss the opportunities that are right around a corner. 
And mm -hmm. one, one thing I know about human dynamics is the more ambitious we are, often high, and you're super ambitious, so you can relate to this. The more ambitious you are, the more driven you are, the more the greater the tendency to be harder on yourself when you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, realize, hey, I just I'm my own stumbling block. Uh, I, I know when I make a mistake. Yeah, in theory, let's let's get past it. But it's, sometimes it's difficult to do that because you have what's called memory. Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in our culture, we look at mistakes the wrong way. And I think when it when a mistake happens on the football field or in the work environment, we need to say, OK, what happened? How do we support the person that made it? And how do we fix the, the mistake so it doesn't happen again? And what ends up happening is a cataclysm that turns into an avalanche. Jay, you made this stupid mistake. Mm. And so what did I just do there? I pointed at you. I said a bad word, stupid. And then everybody around me is going to look around and they're going to go, oh, my gosh, you know, you can't make a mistake because. And, and the better way is we all gather around and go and we say, OK, what happened there? How did it happen? Why did it happen? How do we fix it? And so changing the mindset on the value of a mistake and turning it into from a bad thing into an opportunity is significant. Now, there is a dividing line there because you don't want to have stupidity right. And, right. <laughs> on right. the football field, in, the, in, in, in your training, in your work environment. And so you have to figure out, OK, where's the dividing line between people that make mistakes and learn from them and just people that are being lazy and stupid? Um, don't support that. Right. So let me ask that once once. How do you identify that? Um, because if you are a leader of a group, um, the bigger the group, the harder it is to identify and to isolate when it's genuine mistakes being made through hard work or through just honest mistake and a mm -hmm. mistake or a blunder that's made because of lack of focus, because of uh, a lack of paying attention to detail or just not learning right. from the prior mistake. Now, you've had an opportunity to be a director, a leader, executive, your own company of mm -hmm. thousands of people. How do you do it? Right. And what's a healthy way to, to approach that if you're in the same position? You can't do it all yourself. And so what you have to do is th this is the one of the main things that you have to teach everybody around you and learn from everybody mm -hmm. around you. But you have mm -hmm. to be able to identify the people who are going to look at mistakes as opportunities to learn and the mm -hmm. people that are just lazy and making mistakes as a regular mm -hmm. course of business. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if... If you can, you educate those people. But if they can't be educated, you have to remove them and, and bring somebody new in to replace them. You know, I, I agree with that. You say educate, uh, less educated. I say skilled deficient. If someone is skilled deficient and that's what's causing them to make the same blunder. And I could be an individual. I, I've worked with individuals that they don't have the capacity to perform a task. So they continue to make mistakes. That's when right. you got to realize maybe I'm not cut out for this. It's not mm -hmm. a matter of being persistent. It's a matter of being aware that this may not be my calling personally, right. but also identifying that in a group uh, and a, a member of a group, if that person continues to be the weakest link in the chain, maybe he's not called to be in that particular project or particular group. And it's okay to remove yeah. them for the sake of everybody else, I, I think. Yeah. Um, have you seen that happen? I have uh, multiple times. I, I There have been people in my companies who... I spent money on to try and get them educated, trained, and just nothing worked. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you have to flip from trust and inspire to art of war. You pull right. the sword out, you lop the head off, and move on. Good man. Good way to put it. Before we go to break, I want to ask you one question, and we'll pick up after the break with the next one. But I wrote in my book, uh, The Ten Toxic Traits uh, That Keep You Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, blaming, uh, blaming others, the toxic yeah. trait of blaming some blaming everything and even if there's nothing to blame you blame that there's no blame yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. you blame the yeah. blame <laughs> yeah i know how detrimental is embracing the blame game uh when it comes to the personal blunders that, that we make it's the absolute worst thing that can happen to any entity mm -hmm. sports team family corporation 
Um, I don't like to use examples here because um, because they point a finger at somebody and you don't want to do exactly what, but I'll give you a really good example because we all lived through this this summer as we watched the best female soccer uh, players in the world. Yes, yes. Self-destruct. And you could just see it on the field. They were all blaming each other. Um, the announcers were blaming. The former soccer team um, members were blaming. And here's here's what happens is uh, the striker isn't going to do a great job at playing her role as striker if she's worried about somebody saying, you made a mistake. And so that's what her brain is going to be thinking about, not performing her job to excellence. The the great the the best great example I love is a South African leader who was imprisoned for 27 years. And when he came out of prison, it wasn't because he, he didn't come out of prison because his oppressors let him out of prison. It was because other countries like the United States and European countries put pressure on the apartheid. And when Nelson Mandela came out of his confinement, he very well could have pointed his finger of blame and say, you guys did this. And But you know what he did? He said, South Africa will be a better country if we all come together as one entity. Think about that. The guy was in prison for 27 years of his life. He should have pointed the finger of blame and he didn't. And guess what? South Africa rose from mm -hmm. nothing to one of the great countries in, on the African continent. And, and you can give that to Mandela because he could have stepped into the leadership role. He could have said, you guys are ex-South um, Africans and we're declaring war on you, but he didn't do that. He brought everybody together. You know, there's that's a great example. As, as soon as you mentioned South Africa in prison 27 years, I knew exactly who you were talking about, Mandela. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, you could write a whole book on him being a calaminutist, right? Yeah, um, yeah. He's definitely, he's definitely one. And, you know, he... This is one thing for your um, for your listeners, and that is he had a poem with him in his mind called Invictus, and I I uh, recited in the book, but it's it, it is one that is well worth downloading and reading because it gives you an understanding of how he got through that process. Yeah, you know, it's he's an amazing story, and uh, I think people who don't know his story should use it as sort of a, a role model for blame. Because at the end of the day, you're either going to blame or you're going to get better. Right. You're either going to yep. blame. You got a choice. I can blame, yep. blame, blame, or I can work on getting better. Two roads. You got to choose which one makes the most sense. When we yep. come back after the break, there are so many stories in the book. I had a few favorite of mine, uh, the Postit story, the founder of Postit, the founder of Penicillin, uh, yeah. the, the the high ranking army uh, sergeant. Uh, I mean, five foot tall. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, Be Becky like, Halstead. Yeah, Becky Halstead. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm incredible. Right. And her post yeah. passing away. Wonderful stories. But of all the interviews and all the stories that you uh, wrote in the book, uh, I when we come back after the break, I want to ask you, which are the most inspiring ones to you and why? Okay. And we'll pick that up after the break. All right. Hey, everyone. Jay Mamie here from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Excited to announce that my 10th book, 10 Toxic Traits That Keep You Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, is now available on Amazon. The book is already changing lives since its release. We take a closer look at those progress-inhibiting behaviors that continue to become the stumbling blocks to your success and the better version of you that exists. If progress is important to you, then pick up a copy, 10 Toxic Traits That Keep Your Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, now available on Amazon. I'm David Kazarian, President of Student Optimum Services and a Licensed Debt Arbitrator. We have one mission in mind, to cut down the $1.7 trillion in federal student loan debt by as much as possible and help hardworking Americans just like you achieve financial freedom. Our process is not a settlement or a refinance. We are not a bank or a lender. We are on your side. 
and we go up against these lenders to get you on track for student loan forgiveness by utilizing programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs are available to you regardless of the school you attended, your employment status, or employment field. Over the past 13 years, we've helped thousands of borrowers save millions of dollars on their student loans. Student loan payments are resuming September of 2023, after being on hold for over three and a half years. So the time to take action is now. You have nothing to lose but your student loans. Visit www.studentoptimumservices.com slash to schedule a free consultation today. Welcome back to the J. Mamie Talk Show, Business Edition. back everyone having a fantastic conversation with the one and only michael gordon i'm holding up this book here so his latest release it's already a huge hit calamity now you have to practice i practice saying this calamity yeah. calamity unesty calamity <laughs> unesty right calamity i thought i you know i had it right for a while but you got to continue to say it over and over and over again yeah but you know, the, the title of the book itself is unique. And before we dive into your uh, favorite stories, uh, Michael, can you share first the logic behind the title and even the theme of the book um, yeah. before we dive into your favorite stories in it? Yeah, well, I needed a placeholder for the name for the book as I was writing it. And I was talking to friends. I didn't talk to you. I probably should have. <laughs> a lot of my friends said, that is a terrible word. Don't use it. And it is a combination of three words, calamity, and the M in calamity goes right into mistake, and, and then those two things turn into opportunity. So uh, it's, it's three things that you wouldn't normally put together, but I think it really is one of the secret ingredients to success. And as I was using it as a placeholder, I hated the word. I started doing research on the thesaurus.com the and other places to try and find another word that I could use. And then epiphany hit me. What's the book about? It's taking something bad that happens and turning it into an opportunity. And I looked at the word and I went, I don't like you, but I'm going to turn you into an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so... I said, I'm keeping the, the, the name of the book and I'm gonna turn it into a household word. And so the word calamistunity also has a derivation, people like you who are the calamistunists. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that's what the book is all about, all the calamistunists of the world. Yeah, it's interesting. As I was reading the book, I thought to myself exactly what you just said, the, the well, not the calamity, but the challenge in the title, right? It's actually working in your favor yeah. because people are talking about the title. And the first thing they try to do is roll <laughs> this word off their tongue. And um, <laughs> yeah. from a psychological standpoint, that's already ingraining the, uh, uh, the, the book in their brain because the, the neurons are trying to figure out how do I connect these languages, these words together so it comes out smooth. So whether you knew it or not, right. brother, you turned that calamity into an opportunity and here we are. Right. That's the yeah, title. There we go. Three inspiring stories. Go for it. Well, first of all, let me say this, um, the, you know, the stories are like my children. They either came from, they either came from me knowing somebody and interviewing them or researching and finding a point in history. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to start with a, a point in history. This is one of my favorites. I, um, some people think because of my gray hair, I'm old enough to know this person, but Leonidas. Um, <laughs> you're Spartan. You're a, I, I find you you were a Spartan. <laughs> I, I love this story because there's so many lessons in it. It's in the chapter on fear. And it's, it's there because if you think about what was happening, the Persian army was somewhere between 300,000 and a million soldiers. Right. And why would you not be afraid? They're coming to kill you and mm -hmm. to take over your land and take whatever you had. And the, what Leonidas had to do was figure out a way to stop them. And, and surely finding the best Spartan soldiers to fight the fight was an important part of it. But he also had a secret ingredient. 
And that was, he said, I want to find soldiers who are absolute great soldiers, but they understand the opposite of fear. And so I'm going to let that one sit for just a second while the listeners are thinking, what is the opposite of fear? And then I'm going to tell you why they should be scared. So the advisors to Leonidas said, these 300,000 soldiers, before they attack, every single one of them flights two arrows. I could do that math. 300,000 times two, 600,000 arrows. That's a lot of arrows. In fact, mm -hmm. the advisor said there will be so many arrows in the air, it'll black out the sun. Wow. And Leonidas said, we'll fight in the shade. Wow. So as, wow. as you're about to be rained down on by 600,000 arrows, which is 2,000 arrows per Spartan, <laughs> um, we'll fight in the shade. Now, that's, that's yeah. some pretty serious mojo yeah. there. Yeah. And so why did they not run? I mean, so these 600,000 arrows and all of a sudden these people are attacking, screaming, you know, with their swords and spears and, and other utensils of death. And the Spartans didn't run. Why? First of all, they were great soldiers. But second, they knew the opposite of fear. And, and to Leonidas, the opposite of fear is love. And so you think, wait, love? That's what I feel for my wife. Well, yes. If you love what's standing behind you, you are not going to run. Ask mm -hmm. anybody who's seen a grizzly bear attack a human mom with a child behind it. That grizzly bear is in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was the essential credential that he wanted. He couldn't have any one of his soldiers infecting the others by turning and running. And so, yep, great soldier, great athlete, but mostly love what's standing behind you. So no matter how many arrows come at you, you stand there and fight. And I, I love wow. that lesson because it teaches so many things. Mm -hmm. And as entrepreneurs, we need to make sure that we constantly understand what we're doing has to have that ingredient in it. Love what's what you're defending and you will be successful. That's a great story. You know, I, I'm familiar with the King Leonidas story. I mean, obviously, he's a historical figure, but I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. And I got to tell you something. Um, that alone is for, for our listeners a reason to go pick up the book. Uh, but I didn't know that. Uh, we'll fight in the shade. Brilliant. We'll fight in the shade. It's it, it, it is such a great line. Everybody should be using it. And and, awesome. and those of us who know what it means will go. All right, brother. I got yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. That's just and, and the opposite. You know, it's funny. As soon as you mentioned the opposite of fear, of course, the brain gets an instruction and gets a direction. It tries to solve the problem. So yeah. even as you were speaking, my mind is thinking the opposite of fear is courage. Courage would have never thought it, it, it would be love. Yeah. I'm um, incredible. Yeah. So, well, let me, I, I know you said three, let me give you two because I'm being long-winded here. And um, you mentioned Becky Halstead, the five foot, and I, it, this is somebody who I did interview and uh, Becky is uh, that age so that she was in high school when West Point announced they were going to allow women to come and uh, become cadets. Mm -hmm. And she was in fact a junior. So she was not in the first class, uh, but her mom wanted her to be uh, a West Point cadet. And she had a coach that she admired, who was her hero, Coach Carol Lavena. And Coach Lavena was inspiring all the young girls. And it's funny because I know Becky Halstead. And I said, okay, coach, what, what sport were you playing in high school? And I knew she was going to say track or something like that because she's five foot. And she said basketball. I was the star basketball player on the team. All by itself, that ought to tell you what Becky Halstead is all right, about. Right, exactly. Yeah. But so Coach Lavena was inspiring everybody. Becky Halstead wanted to be like Coach Lavena. And then the time came for doing the applications. Becky said, I don't want to go to West Point, but mom wants me to. So I'm going to do the paperwork. I'll um, respectfully decline if they offer the position to me. And so Coach Lavena writes 
handwrites the letter because that's how long ago it was early, mm -hmm. um, early 70s, mid, mm -hmm. mid 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and two weeks after that letter was written, Coach Lavena, who was a sports sky dumper, jumper, uh, skydiver, was in an accident where she was knocked out after she jumped out of the airplane, never right. opened her parachute, right. fell through her boyfriend's parachute. Fortunately, he was high enough so that he was able to pull his second chute and didn't die. But Coach Lavena fell to the ground, never woke and, mm -hmm. and died. Mm -hmm. So for high school aged Becky, this is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Her hero has just died in an accident where uh, doing something that Becky admired. Now she was absolutely determined. She was not going to West Point, but going to fill Coach Lavena's shoes. The senator from New York called her and said, I want you to come in for your interview for West Point. She goes in. She says, I don't want to do this. And he interviews her anyway. Two weeks after that, he sends her the packet that says you've been nominated to go to West Point. In that packet is the handwritten letter from Carol Lavena. Yeah. Posthumously convinces Becky to go to the academy. Mm -hmm. And now what we have is a woman who became the first general, mm -hmm. first woman to command combat troops, first woman to run ordinance. She's in every hall of fame in America. Absolutely extraordinary very different life than what would have happened if this calamity had not happened to her. And so essentially what she did was she took that calamity and turned it into an opportunity. And, and that event, her reaction to it, the sort of suicidal reaction that she had to losing her coach, she saw again and again on the battlefield when soldiers lost their, their brother standing next to them. And that lesson she was able to teach over and over and over again. I think that's a super valuable uh, lesson from the book. You know, I, I tell you, I love that story. It, obviously, the tragedy was uh, I didn't see it coming when I was reading in the book. But look at the outcome and how from the grave this woman spoke to her. Um, if Coach Laverne had, uh, Laverna had not written that letter, it would be a whole different life trajectory for Heather. Yeah, yeah, right? and, and for for Becky. And, right, and what, Becky, you know, yeah. one other thing. This is this is sort of an interesting twist on this. So, Becky, the West Point has a hotel on campus that's uh, an historic hotel that was built in the eighteen hundreds, called the Thayer. And the Thayer decided a decade, a little over a decade ago, to start naming rooms after distinguished graduates. And Becky was one of the first ones to have a room named after her. And so if you stayed at the Thayer Hotel and you stayed in the Becky Halstead room, it would be, mm. the room would be adorned with pictures from her time in the military and things that she accomplished. And uh, I, I had a meeting with her in 2011, right after she had had this room named after her. And she said, you know, there's another West Point graduate named Buzz Aldrin, who happened to be on Apollo 11 and walked on the moon. And there's no room named after him. We should do this. And, and so Becky and I put together the Capitol and we had a dedication for Buzz Aldrin. And I think about, first of all, I never would have met Becky. Second of all, would there, there wouldn't be Right. A Buzz Aldrin room at the Thayer Hotel. And right. so these pieces, it's amazing how they all fit together. Well, when you look back, I think all of us will be able to recognize that all of these different dynamics were part of, uh, you know, all the world's a stage and your, your life is a big play. And you'll see yeah. how they fit um, the way they were supposed to to create your life story. Yeah. And obviously that's one of them. And our final minute here, Michael, um, you are seen as a mentor to so many. Yes. In fact, I was having a conversation with a fellow named Niraj Chitra. Mm -hmm. Niraj Chitra. He says, oh, yeah. Michael's my mentor. I said, who is this fellow not a mentor of? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, everyone. So you have a mentoring spirit. This book, I saw it as an extension 
of a mentoring spirit. There's going to be people yeah. that's going to read your book, Michael, that will never meet you in person ever. But through this this literary work, you have an opportunity to continue to to share your gift of mentorship um, through to someone you'll never meet anywhere around the world. Right. Why is mentoring so important to you as we wrap up this segment? No matter how extraordinary you are, it is the doors that you can open that accelerate your process. And I was lucky. One of the stories in the book is Nathan Morton, and another story is Bruce Quinnell. Both of those gentlemen were my mentors. And both of them said, and Nathan was unbelievable, as was Bruce Quinnell. And when when they agreed to help little unimportant me, I asked them why, and they said because we see potential, and because you're going to make a promise to us. And I said, mm -hmm. "What's the promise? I'll make it." And they said, "When you get there, you have to go back and help people mm -hmm. also get there." Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a sacred promise. Mm -hmm. You recognize that your success is a function of the people who helped you along the way. And your responsibility is to go back and make sure the next generation has similar opportunities. You know, I tell you, I, I think that's a page that uh, that sacred commitment that you, and I love the way you said that sacred commitment of uh, vow is something that many successful people, they never either make it because they just continue to move forward and develop and grow their own successes. And they forget about helping those. I've had experiences where that's happened to family members. So I appreciate you having that mentor spirit because at your level of success, you could easily fall into the same categories as some of those that who don't help others, but you don't do that. And I think that's, that's what you're going to be remembered more by Michael than anything else is how many times you leaned over and you provided a helping hand or a word of encouragement to someone who really needed it. And that's one of the reasons why you're one of my favorite people in the planet. And I, I mean that. Thanks. And I appreciate you being on the program today. Folks, we're going to put up Michael Gordon's book on our website. I'm going to say it again. Calamity. I got that right. Calamity. Here it is. Yeah, there we're it is. Put it up on our website. Michael, thanks for being on the Jay Made Me Talk Show. All right. It's always an honor and a privilege. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. Attention Dallas-Fort Worth area residents. OnCare360, a digital health company, is looking for a highly motivated healthcare business development consultant. You will be on the front line of the sales process leading from introductions to close. Develop a pipeline to meet or exceed sales targets. You must have experience selling to independent physician groups and provider networks. You must be a self-starter, ability to work independently and results driven. If this sounds like you, please email your latest resume along with your LinkedIn profile to hr at oncare360.com. That is hr at oncare360.com. Hi, I'm Natalie Odoms, Independent Digital Branch Office with Transact Card Visa Bank Card. We're all hurting with the rising cost of gas, groceries, bills, Prices are skyrocketing with no signs of coming down. It's painful. And our Transact Card Visa Bank Card is soothing the pain by offering a reward system no other bank card offers. Transact Card Visa Bank Card doubles your buying power with every swipe. To hear more, call 925-414-5636 for my recorded message. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show Business Edition. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the heels of having a fantastic conversation with Michael Gordon, an entrepreneur himself, an innovator himself, the founder of Teladoc, we have yet another fantastic individual that's joining us to speak about the, the mindset it takes to be not only an inventor, but an innovator. And part of the Jay Mamie Talk Show business edition is highlighting individuals that bring that wisdom to the forefront not only for those of us in the business community, but bringing life lessons that can also help us in the, in the pursuit of a greater life, not just a greater business. And sometimes it does overlap, as this particular segment probably will. But in this case, we're going to focus on 
how does an innovator, a outside of the box thinker, an inventor, uh, help us in the business community create that mindset? And Julie Austin, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, not only is she a top innovation keynote speaker, but she's an ASDAQ winning inventor. She's an author of a number of books, which we're going to have a chance to chat with today. But amazingly, she's obviously her own CEO of uh, her consulting firm, Creative Innovation Group. Uh, she is considered a futurist and someone who I think is on a cutting edge of brand new thought. She's internationally loaned. She's a, a keynote speaker for some of the, the big corporations, Procter & Gamble, Novartis, Northrop Gun, uh, uh, Grunman. Um, now, I got to tell you something, folks. She is not chosen to be keynote speaker at those uh, corporate events for companies as, as large as those companies are because she has nothing important to say. Clearly, there's something that she's done. There's thoughts that she has that these companies want her to come in and share her wisdom. And that's the reason why she's on a program today. Julie Austin, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. How are you, Jay? I'm doing fantastic. You know, you've got a resume that is off the charts. I mean, it is so chock full of experiences and accomplishments and innovation and creations that we're probably going to take this segment, break it up into a couple of parts and have you come back in the future. But for today's introductory segment, I want to learn a lot about the, about you, your thought, what does it take to be an innovator? What does it take to be a futuristic uh, thinker, someone that is outside of the box, someone who actually embraces fearless innovation but before we dive into that, you've got an interesting story. You went to New York City, where I'm from, which I know is it's a tough place. But you went when you were 19 years old and 100 bucks in your pocket and no connection. Very similar to me coming out here to, in Dallas. Obviously, I was not 19, not older, had a little bit more than 100 bucks, but I didn't know anybody. And uh, I know that experience. But at 19 years old in a big city like New York with 100 bucks, walk us through what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> Very good question. <clears throat> the bottom line is, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> I was just, I just wanted to get out of my small town. And, you know, I never even, I don't even know if I'd ever been on a plane before. <laughs> and, and I just thought, we, I'm going to show up and uh, it's all going to be wonderful. I had no plan. That's the bottom line is I had no plan and I showed up. And the, the thing is, entrepreneurs, if you just, I, I am a total believer about just doing it, just taking the risk and jumping off the cliff and doing it because there's so many things an entrepreneur will learn that you can't read in a book. If I'd gone to mm -hmm. college, I could never learn what I learned. I ended up in the hood in New York City. Mm -hmm. <laughs> $100 does not go far. Mm -mm. No, it doesn't. But I thought I'd recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I, 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 I grew up far in New York. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it, it is taking a huge risk. And serendipity, if you do that, serendipity will always find a way to, to help you out. And I, right. the first day I got there, I went into a modeling agency and I met a family from North Carolina where I was from. And they said, well, come on and live with us. <laughs> and that is just the weirdest thing. Otherwise, I don't know what I would have done. I might've gone home and forgotten about it, but that's mm -hmm. how it started. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You, you arrived in New York, you're 19 years old, 100 bucks in your pocket. You had no game plan, but yet you quickly embraced activity, action, and initiative, which has molded you till this day clearly. How important, looking back now, was taking that level? Of, I mean, that's, that's the risk that many won't take, right? And it's a bold, brazen risk. I, we, I get it, and we get it. But once you made the decision to take it and you arrived, what did you start to do? What was the first game plan that uh, you thought of embracing to not only survive, but thrive in New York? Um, <clears throat> I, I did go there with a modeling portfolio. 
And, okay. and I didn't do the normal pictures because I'm 5'5", five, five, so I really wasn't mm-hmm. tall enough to be a model, but I wanted to do it anyway, and everyone said I couldn't do it, and I said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I, mm. I went to um, a photojournalist, and we did some bizarre stuff like an evening gown in a junkyard, you know, those kind of weird pictures. So that caught mm-hmm. the attraction of a modeling agency. So even though I wasn't tall enough, um, they said, hmm, this is unique. This is something different. And she can do other types of modeling. And so I took those pictures. Literally, I went door to door. I just pounded the pavement. And I said, I'm going to keep doing this until something happens. And a lot of times it's a numbers game. Life is a numbers mm-hmm. game. You keep trying things. You try something else and you just keep going. Something's going to click. And then you build on that, which was, um, it turned out to be um, a magazine cover uh, or, or the whole spread actually for the magazine for for knitting and crocheting or something. And uh, we did it in the mayor's uh, mansion. And, and that I could take and and parlay that into other things. They go, oh, I guess you can work. So what I'm saying is keep going, keep pounding the payment, keep making the calls until something works. You take that one thing mm-hmm. and then you build on it. Yeah, one of the things that I believe has to be ingrained in the brain, in the fiber of behavior and activity in every person, and you just highlighted that, is persistency. Relentless yeah. persistency. I mean, you so take your pictures, Julie, and uh, knock on the proverbial doors until someone let you in is the epitome of persistency. And that's something most people won't do. And obviously, that's why you are who you are. You've achieved uh, the success that you've achieved. Uh, but you went on to star in some TV shows, theater, and commercials. And then something happened that also radically changed your life that forced you to move to L.A., can you share that with us? <laughs> yeah, I was left at the altar. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm going to get as far away as possible. <laughs> so you went from the East Coast to the West Coast. That's about as far as well on, on, in America. That's about as far as you can go without getting on a boat or a plane. Uh, and you think it's, but, but that was a blessing, right? Because you went on to do some things. That your tenacity and your persistency didn't stop in New York because you were left at the altar. You just took it to the West Coast. Can you pick up from there? Yeah. I mean, going from North Carolina to New York wasn't as big of a deal, honestly, from a small town to a big city as it was going from New York City to L.A. That was a culture shock. (laughs) But I did the same thing. I didn't know anybody, didn't have any, didn't have a job or you know, I had I had a little more than a hundred dollars, but instead of one suitcase, I had two. Um, <clears throat> but it was the same thing. I didn't. I was starting from scratch, so I did the same thing: knock on a million doors and and just keep going. And like I said, you take one thing. I booked one national commercial that then I was able to have some credibility. So it's called social proof. You need to build Mm -hmm. your social proof as an entrepreneur um, because that's what other people look to you for that Mm -hmm. credibility. Like, oh, she did a national commercial. So I guess, you know, we should give her a a shot. And and that's what happened. You you mentioned a key phrase, social proof. And Julie, I speak about that all the time. How important if you're creating a brand or if you are leveraging someone else's brand, or if you're trying to bring credibility to your own brand, social proofing is critical. It is absolutely uh, needed if you're going to go from a nobody to a somebody. You need that. Or if you're going to make somebody who's a nobody a somebody, you need to leverage social proof. And that's something that we probably will talk about in our next uh, installment of the Julie Austin series. Well, we'll call it a Julie Austin series because that's so critical, social proofing. And many people don't understand what it is, but you, you had a commercial, it worked out well, and you leveraged it to open more doors. And that is what it's all about. I actually, you went on to become a film distributor and did all bunch of other things, which, which, you know, again, that's, that's part of your wonderful resume. But let me ask you this other question here because now you're, 
you're you're taking this discipline and this 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 persistency mindset, and things are starting to happen. At what point did you decide, okay, uh, let me pivot and let me take on more of an innovative role, a creative role? How did that rice switch happen from going from media and commercial and that world to becoming an innovator? Good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, also one thing that entrepreneurs have to, and small business owners have to deal with is the economy. So when mm-hmm. the economy goes up and down, I mean, it, I hate the word pivot. It's become a little hack, but it is true. Right. You have to, you have to pivot. And, um, you know, that I, I just took the skills that I already had. And, you know, I said, wait a minute, um, you know, how can I become a business owner? Because I was kind of an entrepreneur in a way, but, you know, when I was doing modeling and commercials, you're working for other people. But I wanted right. to be a business owner. And it happened by accident. I was running in the heat and I passed out from dehydration. And that's when I came up with an invention, the wrist water bottle. And again, I wanted to just license it and have somebody else do it. And that fell through. (laughs) So I just Mm -hmm. did it on my own. And again, I had to learn everything from scratch about how to manufacture a product. How do you package it? How do you distribute it? There was no blueprint. And you just ask the questions, well, who would I talk to if I want to get a mold made? I guess, you know, and then that also what helps is to ask questions of other Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, call and Mm -hmm. ask them for advice. They will help you. That's what happened. They will steer you in the right direction. Yeah, I got to say something about that, Julie. We had a guest on the show. um, She's the the founder of a fast-growing cookie dough company called Brodo. Um, she was on the show recently, and what was amazing about her is she did exactly what you said. She didn't know. Mind you, she's 26 years old, um, doesn't know anything about anything, comes up with this idea to create uh, Brodo, uh, just healthy. Uh, Erica Rankin, that's the guest who came on the show. She's the founder of, of Brodo. 26 years old, she said, you know, I want to find a way. Everybody loves cookie dough, and I want to make it healthy. And I want to make it plant-based. That's the idea she had. But moving forward from there on out, she had no clue how to do it, how to market, nothing. But here's what she did. Exactly what you just said, uh, Julie. She sought out the resources. She asked questions to people that she figured would have answers that she didn't have answers to. And because, uh, you know, when you're 26, 27 years old, you're on social media, she reached out on LinkedIn to other entrepreneurs who had uh, similar successes. And they were very open to help her answer her questions. Uh, she says very few of them denied access to their wisdom. And as a result of that, she just leveraged the resources of her connections on LinkedIn, asked the right questions, got the right advice, made some mistakes along the way, as I'm sure you know innovators and inventors will do. That's part of the process. But now she's got a thriving uh, company that I last I heard, they're actually looking to manufacture and do some distribution here. Uh, in the U.S., and she was in Dallas recently with some doing negotiations. Um, there's there's something to be said about two things, and and I'll ask you this question also because it's important when you are an innovator and an inventor. It's important to recognize I don't know, I don't know it all. I know I don't know, and be humble about it. That means you've got to put pride aside, and then you've got to have the wisdom to seek the resources and pick up the phone. How true are those two ingredients in your experience? Oh, that's absolutely true. And like I said, entrepreneurs want to help other entrepreneurs. If you are showing initiative, and I do this with inventors, if somebody is genuinely interested in learning about being an inventor, they have an idea, they want to do something with it, here's, here's the thing that I want from them. If I give you advice, you take it. You take that initiative. Don't just sit on it. <clears throat> because mm-hmm. I, I think that that's what we, you know, when you have achieved a certain level of success, 
you want to help other people, but you want to help people that are going to be action oriented, that are going to take your advice and do it and come back to you and say, hey, Julie, you gave me this advice. I went to this manufacturer and look what I did. I got this mold made. Now what do you do? Then I'll help you again. Don't you think? You know, you're absolutely right. You you certainly will. And it's frustrating, Julie. And I, I experience the same thing. People often ask me for insight and, and mentoring. And I always, I'm from New York. I shoot, I shoot straight from the hip. I let them know, look, I'll give you what I've got. But if you don't give me return, the respect of implementation, then it ends here. I'm going to give right. I, I, I'm going to give you the seed, but you got to be the planter. You got to plant that seed and you got to water it because it's not that I'm wasting my time. And I say that respectfully, but it's the same thing you're saying. I think people that are looking for advice should recognize that it's okay to do it, but don't take advantage of the advice and do nothing with it. Because that's not exactly. cool. Right? It's just yep. not cool. By the way, well, most people are, are probably not aware of that. Your product is this wrist water bottle. Um, is uh, not only was it a NASDAQ product of the year semifinalist, but it was uh, it's sold in I don't know twenty five countries or so, and it's been featured on the Today Show, the Queen Latifah Show, uh, HGTV, Lifetime, uh, Lifetime, a bunch of the network stations. So it's this invention that was as a result of you being thirsty on a race and I'm knowing how to find water. It's the simplicity of it um, has become a, a huge global hit. Um, so there's something to be said about paying attention to the details and not overthinking something that can help others because you might think it's simplistic. This water bottle on your wrist is an example of that. So that brings my, my next question. As an innovator, as an inventor, what kind of eye, what kind of awareness, how fine-tuned should our radar be? Because anybody could be an inventor, right? It's an idea. How fine-tuned should our minds be and not get caught up with the necessity for something to be complex? Oh, the simplest things, like the post-it note. How simple is that? That's a great great, excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, it does not have to be complicated at all. And you're right. Anybody can be an inventor. And I always tell people that. I encourage people to invent. You don't have to be an engineer or a scientist. You know, I I didn't do either one of those, but um, I just had an idea and I thought that it would work. And, you know, I I guess I naively just, you know, kind of jumped off the cliff and got it going. And um, I I made a million mistakes because I didn't have any mentors, really. Um, but you know, <laughs> but it did eventually get to a point where I, you know, started, I, I've sold about a million of them with no wow. advertising. So that's amazing. That's it amazing. took a long time. It took a long time. That's amazing. And our, in our final minute here, Julie, you wrote a book the, and I love this title. You wrote a few books, but this one here, I want to focus on for this particular segment, which is available on Amazon. The Money Garden, How to Plant the Seed for a Lifetime of Income. It's a brilliant title, and the content is spot on. In our last minute here, share the story behind the book. What were you trying to share with people, and what do you want the reader to walk away with after they've read it? So I wrote that book in 2008 at the downturn of the economy when everything crashed and burned. And I really, I had all my eggs in one basket. I was only mm-hmm. doing one thing. I was doing mm-hmm. it well, but I didn't have any plan B. And when that got cut off, I was just floundering. And so I wrote the book, you know, a lot of it was for me <laughs> on how to create and run multiple businesses, which I will always do. I do it now. I run several businesses and nothing proved me more right than COVID. So COVID shut down um, most of my businesses, but I still had some that were doing just fine. And that's because I created multiple streams of income. And 
I would just pivot. <laughs> There's the word again. I just would mm-hmm. pivot and do something else until things got back on track. I mean, one of them was the, the speaking business. Obviously, that shut down completely. But I had a way I did. I have a sponsorship business. The sponsorship business allowed me to create online content for companies with sponsorship. So it had nothing to do with COVID. It didn't matter if everything was shut down. So I just pivoted to that business. So I am a big believer in creating multiple streams of income. So in our last uh, few seconds, here going into 2024 what advice are you going to provide would you provide to those that are where you were prior to the invention or the innovator that you are today who are considering doing something that that could be first either a source of second income or a complete lifestyle change and they have these ideas but they're concerned uh, about well they're really dealing with self-doubt really Last few seconds here, what do you say to them for this following year? Well, I mean, for one one thing, it's very simple, is that you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. Because I can tell you from all of the years of doing the product, and I went through some down times, you know, <laughs> and, and people would go, oh, give it up. You'll never, it'll never work. And you, sometimes you are the only one that is going to believe right. in you. That's right. And you, That's right. And, you know, it's just simple advice, but that is it. You know, I got to tell you something, but that's the best advice. Sometimes you're the only one that's going to believe in your dreams and that's okay. As long as you believe in them, Along the way, if there's others that jump on that bandwagon, great. Eventually they do, but if they don't, you keep pushing forward. Julie, your website is creativeinnovationgroup.com. We appreciate you being on the show. It's not the last time we're going to hear from you because there are many more questions we need to ask. We'll pick that up at our next segment. Julie Austin, we appreciate you being on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Well, folks, that wraps up another fantastic show. Make sure you catch up with us next Monday night for the next Jay Mamie Talk Show Business Edition. Until then, keep thriving.